going? No, man, you got the right classroom. Come on in, take a seat beside me, my friend. Hey, look, here come T.A. Charlie. Let's see what he got to say. Donut! Me want donut! No, me, me want donut. No donuts today, Joe. Me, me want Tomo- do- tomorrow. Me want donut tomorrow. No donut tomorrow. No donut tomorrow. Oh, no donut. <laughs> Why no donut tomorrow? Oh, <sighs> tomorrow is donut day. They need to wait for donut. Yes, you, you can't wait, wait for donut. You have to wait for donut <sighs> tomorrow. Okay. Yeah, folks. Be waiting for whether donuts. you want to or not. <laughs> You're watching the Road to Concord with <laughs> Professor Joe Bakanovic. Donut Monster! <laughs> Otherwise known as Donut Monster. Yes. <laughs> Homeroom is on Rumble. You just go to Rumble and you search channels for the Road to Concord. It's one word. When you find it, you go ahead and you click follow. Might mean you got to set up an account, but it's fast, it's easy, it's free. I did it. You can do it. For those technologically challenged members of the class, you can also catch us on Facebook, Twitch, Twitter, and even YouTube today. We'll see if that makes it. Uh, then you can catch <laughs> the podcast after the show. It's uploaded to Podbean, iHeartRadio, and Spotify, and eventually to BitChute. Just look for The Road to Concord. You can go to the blog page. It's theroadtoconcord.com. That's where you find all your show notes, study notes, and handouts for the class. Finally, you can email a professor at joe at theroadtoconcord.com. Easy for him to say. Yeah, that's what it is. Give me donut. Uh, yeah, I need donuts too. Donuts, see donuts. Tomorrow, tomorrow. So tomorrow. He, he's, he's, he's slow, except when he's on donuts. Uh, phones are on today, 229-469-0335 for registered numbers. Uh, like, you know, like we always tell you, we only accept calls from people we know who you are and stuff like that. So if you think we know who you are, send us an email and we'll hook you up. Uh, if you find our classes helpful, please click the thumbs up, like, subscribe, and share it with those you think could benefit from it. Yeah. Donut people. Joe is an acquired taste, especially when he's on donuts. Yeah, so like warning. Jelly donut. Jelly warning. donut tomorrow, taste. tomorrow will be a donut day. Donuts. So this show is listener sponsored, meaning we do not solicit business advertising because nobody would support us anyway. Yeah, no, nobody likes uh, But that means we're not limited in what content we can provide either. So. With that said, we ask for your participation on a value-for-value value basis. If you find our show of value to you, then you provide an equivalent portion of your labor and treasure through the donut link donut on link. the Road to Concord blog page, in the show description on Rumble, and the comments on the other streams. Hey, we all know T.A. Charlie isn't all there. Now, just take a seat and give it a chance. the professor. You soon realize we not might be the smartest. But we each independently form opinions based on reason and logic. We're free thinkers. Let's see what the road to Concord with Professor Joe Bakanovic has on the lesson plan for today. Donut! Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Okay. Donuts tomorrow. Must teach lesson now. Yes. 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 Teach lesson. Donut need donut to teach lesson. Donut monster. Wait for tomorrow. Okay. All right, guys. All right. Thanks, Charlie. I appreciate that. I tried hard to distract him today, but he he stuck with it today. Good morning. It's uh, Conspiracy Theory Thursday. And boy, do I have a conspiracy webbit for you today. We's going to hunt webbits today. Uh, told you Tuesday when we were talking about Halloween, you know, who uh, uh, connects to the Celts, the Celtic people. 
and I told you I was going to trace their lineage for you today. Well, this is a big, fat, hairy mess. It, oop, we got a comment on the board from John Deere 8000. This is two items of interest. One, making a donut pizza Saturday. You bring donut pizza here. And two, the Marine Corps birthday ball canceled due to unforeseen operational commitments. Yeah. Yeah. That's a heresy right there. Who's this? Is it Matthew Perry guy? I mean, they've been talking about this guy for a week. What? Are and before they him, it was. What are they? It was hiding? what's her name? You know, little Miss Breakup with everybody. What? What the heck's her name? Swifty. Yeah, Taylor. Yeah, that it, they're distracting us for something. We'll get into that Monday if we survive that long. I have no idea what this is about, but um, the Marine Corps has never canceled the Marine Corps birthday ball, not even after December seventh, nineteen forty-one. So I don't know what's going on there, but you distract me. You bring donut. You you find John Deere. You find half dozen donut. So I want donuts. I need donuts. Yeah, we may be fixing to go to war. That's not the purpose of today's class. Well, could be. Actually, Charlie, that actually, yeah, yep, yep, yep. Could be connected. Uh, there may be a connection. But that's later in the class. I told you I was going to trace this mess for you. The 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 lineage of the Celts, Celtic people. Okay. Now it's time to get a little serious here. Um, there's a theory that uh, the Celtic people, the Anglo-Saxons, the Scythians, and a part of the Germanic people are all even part of the Greeks are all part of the Hebrews, the Hebrew nation. They're all Hebraic people. They come from the, the lineage of Abraham through Isaac. So they're all descendants of the sons of Jacob. Um, the problem with this is there's no clear evidence on this. This is a mess. I have read a ton of stuff on this subject and I still can't get heads or I can't get my head around it. I can't get a handle on it. Um, I'll read one book that's pro. Yeah. Well, that all makes sense. I'll read one book that's, you know, con and I'm like, Oh crap. Yeah. That makes sense too. Eh. The only thing I can do is look at this biblically. And when I do that, the idea that these people are connected to the Hebrews starts clicking through the prophetic indicators so there's my um perspective that's my point of view on this issue i'm looking at this through prophecy and as soon as i do that the picture starts taking place but if i take the bible away from it you got a hot mess so you know that going into this before we even get going the lost tribes of israel why do they matter oh boy why do they matter because for bible believers they are key players in the end times prophecies also for bible believers without the lost tribes of israel there is no salvation what joe what'd you just say yes you are grafted in through the house of israel Joseph, his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, Ephraim was given the birthright, the birthright of Isaac. 
through Isaac, you know, all these things will be traced. You know, your seed will be traced. Well, the scepter, meaning the rulership and the birthright were separated. The scepter was given by Jacob, Israel, the man Israel, you know, after he'd been renamed. He gives the rulership to the house of Judah, Jews. He gives the inheritance, your admission into the kingdom. You know, Jesus says, I'll share my inheritance with you, meaning admission into the kingdom of God, into Yahweh. He gives that to Ephraim. Ephraim is the leader of the 10 northern tribes. Ephraim is the strongest of the tribes of all of Jacob, all 12, 13 tribes. You are grafted in through Ephraim, Israel, the house of Israel. This is why Paul says all Israel was blinded. Most of us read that, well, all the Jews were blinded. Paul didn't say all the Jews were blinded. He said Israel. Paul knows the two houses of Israel. A lot of people reject this thinking. They need to go re-read the book of Jeremiah and Hosea. Those two prophets are very clear on this. They also need to re-read the Gospels where Jesus says, I was sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But he started with his people first, the house of Judah. Jesus tells you there are two tribes. You've got a problem with that? Argue with him. Good luck with that. That's why this is important. The whole world is blessed through this. Here we go. This is where we start. The 10 lost tribes, where they went, what they are now called. This is from, uh, go to your show notes, folks. If you'll go to your show notes today, you're going to find let me just quick rabbit. We'll trace this. Here's your show notes, roadtoconcord.com, right? You go to your show notes. You're going to find a little video that's going to trace the tribes, where they went, what happened. Most of what the show notes are going to be today is a bibliography. I linked you to all the books. Folks, this is a list of books that I own and have read on this subject alone. That's the books right there. There's a PDF of one of the most important ones right there. It's public source. So I'm not violating anything there. We're still reading the books. We're still reading the books. Now we get down to genetics. All those books, I'm going to introduce you to every one of them. I'm going to tell you what they cover. Then you're going to get into something here. I have not watched this video, but I did use some um, some uh, pictures from the video, some still shots. The still shots seem to be pretty good, so... If the video, it's three and three hours and something long. If that is two part, if that video is is as good as the still shots of their graphs, it should be fairly fairly good. I stuck that in there for you, and then we're going to get into a couple of really hairy rabbits, and yeah, boy, do I mean hairy rabbits. But um, that's where we got here, and a quick quick warning before we even really get going into this. This is a very very complicated subject. I think that Yahweh, God intentionally blurred everything here so you couldn't easily trace the, the path of these tribes. Because if you could, you could solve a lot of prophecy real quick, easy peasy, look right through it. And so could Satan, Satan. So if you're going to run down this trail looking for the lost tribes, be very careful be a big time skeptic and make whoever's talking to you prove it 
And if they don't ever address the objections, you know, the other side of the story, throw them away. Even if they're 100% correct, throw them away. The only ones that you need to be paying any attention to are the ones that say, okay, well, the other side would explain this this way. Here's why we disagree. The other side would say, this means this. And here's why we disagree. If they're not addressing that, get rid of them. Even if they're correct, you shouldn't put trust in that type of argumentation. They need to address the other side of this or they're not very valuable. This is from the 10 commandments ministry.com or us rather. That's where this show slideshow and everything comes from. And I pulled the, these are all pictures from the slide. So if you're watching the chalkboard, this is the pre Exodus migration to Troy 1527 BC before they leave Egypt. The truth is this is right about the time of the Exodus. If you have watched patterns of evidence, he shows you that the Exodus happened earlier than what we think it did. And there's, there's very good archaeological evidence for that. What you have to do is you have to take the archaeology and match it up to the Bible. Archaeologists who are not Bible believers don't want to do that. So they match it up to the current thinking of Egyptology. So they say the Exodus happened around the middle of you know 1250 BC when it's probably something closer to 1450 to 1550 BC, 100 years earlier. And the, the videos from the gentleman who does patterns of evidence, he gives you a very convincing case. And there are other people who, Egyptologists, who have said that the Egyptian timeline is out of whack, that it's too truncated, too short. And they have shown that it should be longer they're just looking at the history of Egypt. They've been dismissed. But when you line up what those Egyptologists have said with what the patterns of evidence have found and you line it up with the Bible, all three click. In my world, that's three witnesses. So this is part of what we're talking about here. What, whoops, that's not what I meant to do. Sorry, folks. I need to blow that back up for you. This is the first exodus. This is mostly the tribe of Dan. They go to Troy. Yes, Troy. They become the leadership of the Greek people. For all we know, Alexander might be descendants of the tribe of Dan. But from Troy, they will eventually be defeated at the Battle of Troy. From Troy, they will move, half of them will go up into the Black Sea, up into what today we call the Balkans area. And then the other half are going to go over to Sicily and they'll eventually take over Rome. And then from there, they move to the Iberian Peninsula, Spain. And from Spain, they moved to Ibernia, Ireland. Everywhere they end up going, they the, the lineage of Dan takes over the leadership families, the, the royal families of that area, the, the families that will rule the people in that area. And this seems to have gone all the way down through history. This is the first migration of the Hebrew people that we know about. I've mentioned this one before in the past. I've mentioned that the first and last censuses of the people in the desert shows that they lost people while they were in the desert. One of the things you need to understand is the Hebrew people have been blessed. They multiply quickly. They're very fertile. Lots of children. This is a promise from Yahweh. So we would have expected them over 40 years to have almost doubled in number, but they did not. There are extra biblical records outside of the Bible recording the migrations of the Hebrew people, not Jews yet, 
I'm not talking about just Jews. Jews is a tribe. Hebrew is the people. Well, these Hebrew people start moving around and they start getting into the whole of Southern Turkey and parts of what we call Greece. Now the story, you know, like Argos and the Argonauts, the, there's a strong argument and I'll show you when we get to the book, but there's a strong argument that the Argonauts are actually the Danites and that Hercules is a retelling of the myth of the myth of Hercules goes back to Samson. I have no idea. We'll, there's an argument for that. It makes sense. It clicks over a biblical understanding of ancient times, but you have to remember that a lot of what we know of the past is fragmented and we have to just guess at a whole bunch of it. But this here, this is important because this is going to show you that the, the, the ancient world was certain parts of it were seeded with people, Hebrew people so that they'll be ready when the time comes to for for the rest of um, the Hebrew people to come, you know, get kicked out of the Holy Lands and then they'll remigrate. But the Danites go everywhere here. They're a seafaring people. This is the migration. It's called the Scythian migration. This is the Hebrew migration into Europe. This is after the Northern Kingdom has been destroyed. So goes up into the area of Assyria and then the Babylonians move a bunch of people up into the Medea area. The prophecies in the Bible tell the Northern kingdom that they will eventually acquire the gates of their enemies, meaning they will take over their enemies areas. We will get to the Scythian people later in the show, but the, the, the Celts remember from Tuesday's show, the Irish people who were give us Halloween, the Celts, the ancient Celtic records, claim Scythian origin out of Egypt. Well, that's not a biblical story, Joe. Yeah, you're right. It isn't. It's what we would call, the Greeks would call secular. It's outside of the Bible. The problem here is, folks, and this is where we get into a big problem. This is why I tell you this is difficult to understand. If I look at this as as, as just non-biblical, I'm outside of the Bible. And in the the Irish records say we are Scythians from Egypt. Um, the Scythians didn't exist as a people, according to archaeology and according to ancient records. The Scythians didn't exist as a people at that time. So how do you have Scythian Egyptians? You don't. You have Hebrew Egyptians. What? Yeah. If what they mean by Scythian is the Danites then yeah, this, the Celts are, you know, according to the biblical theory, the Celts are of the Danite tribes, the Scythians that way. But they claim to be of the Egyptian Scythians. Another problem we have is the, the Egyptians called the Scythians, they believe, Hikos or Hyksos. Or, it's, it's, I don't remember the name. I'm sorry. But it's in the Bible. It's in the Egyptian literature. These different people groups have different names according to which nation's recording them. Hexos, I think, is what it is. But what that causes is confusion. So I might have one different people group known by six or seven or eight or nine different names over different periods of time. Well, if you're not reading a broad enough net, you know, if you're not spreading a big net, not just over a region, 
You know, I'm not just talking about the entire Mediterranean basin and reading from all those countries. You got to be reading over a whole big period of time as well. If your net isn't big enough, you won't catch what's going on. So when this like Yeti, Sasquatch. Yes, yes, exactly. And uh, Mumu and Yowie and yes, all sorts of names. Yes, exactly. Good way of looking at it. It's different names for Daryl. Okay. So the Celts claim to be of Scythian origin, but the Scythians don't show up until, as a people, until the very early 700s BC. But the Celts are claiming we are Egyptian Scythians from like 1400 BC. Well, that makes you a Hebrew, a Hebrew or an Egyptian. But Egyptians are not connected to the Celtic people. Hebrews may well be. So for me, what I'm seeing is the Celtic people are connected to the Scythians, the Western Scythians. Now hold on to that. That's going to get important when we get to the fake Ashkenazi Jews, quote unquote. Now, the Eastern Scythians, this is where they get the name Scythians from. It's the Scythian area up in what is now the Ukraine. Oh, geez. Are we still embroiled with the Ukrainians, Ukrainians in anywhere, Charlie? Nah, nah. They're not in the news or anything. Hmm. It, it's got nothing to do with end times connections, does it? Oh, no, no. No. Okay. Anyhow. So these Scythians will eventually migrate across the Caucasus Mountains. Might have something to do with that Perry guy, though. Yeah, it might. When they come across the Caucasus Mountains, they become known as Caucasians. But there are lots of other white people other than just Caucasians. This is kind of like you can't call not all blacks are African. Okay. Not all um not all Latin people are Mexican Indian. You know, this is not an ethnic thing, folks. We're not talking skin color. This is spiritual ethnicity. Okay. Spiritual ethnicity. But they will become known on this material world as Caucasians. And they become the Eastern Scythians. Coincidentally enough, and we're going to see this later in the show, This today's show is going to be a hodgepodge mess. I'm just going to swirl this all together for you because in my mind, this is all just swirled together. I cannot make sense of this for you yet. I can give you a theory, and that's what I'm giving you. But you have your Western Scythians that become known as Celts. And they originally in Southern Spain and then up into Southern uh, Europe. They stopped the Muslims at the Battle of Tours. So today's a real conspiracy theory. Yeah, this is day? a theory day. Yes. Not yes, a it is. And it's a day. it is a cosmic conspiracy. This is a spirit cosmically spiritual conspiracy to hide the Jews or to take over their identity when and then just erase them from history. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. This is a mess day, folks. You're going to have to make the best you can out of this because I can't put this any cleaner than I'm doing today. So your Western Scythians, Celts, Celts, whichever way you want to pronounce the word, they stopped the Muslims in the Battle of Tours. Your Eastern Scythians, your Caucasians, they stopped the Muslim advance into Eastern Europe. The same people groups, more than likely, if that theory is right, if, if the Hebrew roots of the Scythians, if that theory is correct, well, then you have your Hebrews, in both case, stopping the advances of Islam. 
spiritually, that makes sense. That tracks to me. Spiritually, the Celts out of Egypt and the Scythian Egyptians or the Egyptian Scythians, that, that tracks for me. The Eastern Scythians coming out of Scythia, which is to the northeast of uh, Sarmatia there, um, that tracks for me. And then from there, they go up into the Scandinavian countries and all up into Central uh, Europe and up into the uh, areas of you know Denmark and the Netherlands and et cetera, et cetera. We'll get to that. Now here's, this is, all of that happened, um, let me go back and give you the timelines again real quick. So the people moving out before the Exodus, this is roughly 1527 BC, and during the wandering, 1468 BC, and then the Scythian migrations, 745 to 280 BC. Now 745, that's only like 20, 25 years after the Northern Kingdom has been destroyed. Now the Scythian split, this is 650 to 550 BC. They split and they go in two different directions around the Caspian Sea. They go to the northeast and to the northwest. And that's what this picture is showing you right here. And this is a bigger picture of it. So they come out of the northern kingdom of, of Israel. And they basically take up everything that today we would call the stands. Kurzbanistan, Pakistan. I mean, not Pakistan, but Uzbekistan and all of that. It, this, is, this is in that area just to the... South of the Ukraine and north of uh, Turkey and east of Turkey and north of Iran. Um, you know, it's just just this, in the Afghanistan area. It's right there. And it's all centered around the Caucasus Mountains, which is right there in the middle. And you'll see the name Sakai, S-A-K-A-E. That's where the name Scythian comes from. But it's also another name for Isaac. So these people, just the Scythians as a people, pop up right around the year 700 BC. Poof. Now they claim they existed before that, all in the area of the Middle East and the Holy Lands. Again, if you're going to look at this outside of the Bible, you'll say that they're they're Gomer. You know, they're they're not trans, you, you can't trace them. They're Germanic people and they came from the steppe and all this other. They trace them from different areas. A, a problem is that we have records that talk about Scythians all over the place. I think, me, Joe, my opinion from what I've read, I think what you have here is a name Scythian being applied to many different people. And essentially, Scythian is connected to very crude, rude, undeveloped barbarians, very primitive, barbaric people. So Scythian might be applied to anybody thought to be you know less developed than a regular barbarian so it could end up being that in the ancient times it was used as a pejorative not just an identification of a specific people because i've seen it used for people from the the steppe of russia which is the eastern part of russia out toward um toward manchuria where you're, you're almost in china i've seen it used for germanic people in the central german areas of of europe I've seen it used for the people around the Caucasus Mountains and in between the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea and, you know, parts of Turkey. I've seen it used for people in Egypt all across different time periods. And this is from ancient records. This is not from modern times. This is the ancient records of time. So <clears throat> to me, that's not a people group. This is a word that must have been used in a different way to me, to Joe. You're going to have to, this, for most of you, this is just going to be a really weird show. You know, you're going to think this is a 
biblical art bell show. I get it. I understand. Here's where we start with the bibliography. A lot of this is recorded by these two guys. This is the works of Josephus or Josephus, depending on how you want to say it, and the works of Philo or Philo. Josephus is how most people pronounce it in the English world. He recorded that they knew when he's writing about, he's in the first century AD. He's shortly after Christ is crucified and ascends. That's his time period, right around 100 AD. He's writing that they, at that time, 800 years after the destruction of the Northern Kingdom, that that the, the Jews still know where the Northern Kingdom is. What? Yes. He says they're beyond the Great River, the Euphrates River. Well, that would put them in the area of the Scythians. And he connects them to the Scythians. Well, this is also going to be part of the uh, the Iranian people. The Scythians become allies with uh, Assyria. And they tend to fight the Medes. And the Medes are allied with the Babylonians. So this is basically going to be Assyria and Babylon fighting each other. But the Assyrians are aligned with the Scythians. Well, that would make sense. Even though the Assyrians deported these, these Jews you know, the, the, not Jews, the Hebrews out of the Northern kingdom, they might still align with each other because, you know, you, you get used to your captor, especially when you've pretty much taken over parts of his land, took it away from him because the Assyrians were afraid of the Scythians. Um, the Scythians were fiercer warriors and we've already read earlier this week, how the Assyrians were just absolutely fierce. The whole ancient world was scared of them. Well, the Assyrians were scared of the Scythians. So, but they have a war with, with Babylon and Med, uh, Medes and Persia and all that stuff. You have to remember also that Josephus will tell you, and he gives hints that the reason that the wise men, the Magi's coming out of Babylon, out of the area today, that would be South, Southeastern Iraq and Northern Iran, North, Northwestern Iran, that area, that region, the reason they knew to go look for the Messiah was because they were Hebrews. We forget that a lot of the tribe of Judah never returned to Judea. They stayed in Babylon, just like a lot of Jews stayed in Egypt, just like a lot of Jews stayed in the Caucasus Mountain region. Wherever they migrate, they stay and they grow. And this gets us into another problem that we'll mention in a little bit when we start talking about DNA. But these two books here, these are ancient Jewish historians. They're both Jewish. They're from the tribe of Judah. And they're writing about the history of the world in their time. And Josephus writes about the antiquity of the Jews. Philo, Philo, rather, he's writing about everything, the whole history. But he also mentions Jews. They give us some hints as to where the tribes went, where they were at the time. And uh, Philo is writing about the same time as uh, Josephus. They're, they're contemporaries of each other, roughly. Now, this book, the book of Tephi, oh, or Tephi, oh, <laughs> that's the king's daughter. If I'm remembering right, it's Hezekiah's daughter. One of the two of them that Jeremiah grabs up along with some of the artifacts from the temple and flees into Egypt after the, the kingdom, the southern kingdom is destroyed. And they're going to Babylon. This is this book is about how the princess comes with the the prophet and the scribe. 
and she marries into they come to ireland right about the time that the southern this, this all the timeline coincides and they come to ireland and we know that jeremiah from the bible we know he had a scribe it begins with a b i can't remember his name but um was it a baruch yeah something like that yeah well they go to ireland according to both to, to secular history and she marries into the royal family that's in Ireland. And that royal family has already traced itself back to the house of David. This is the breach. This is Tamara's twins. They're both uh, sons of Judah, the father. He, remember, he has that relationship with his daughter-in-law because he wasn't following the Torah. And she gets pregnant. And she has twins. Well, one of them, the one who sticks its hand out first, the midwife ties a red string around his his wrist. This is called the breach. It's a breach in the in the inheritance and in the timelines. You have to remember this is all going to be connected to inheritance laws in the in the ancient times, and it's going to be connected to the prophecies that Israel, you know, Jacob, the man named Israel, is prophesying over Ephraim and Judah. He says the scepter will remain with Judah. Well, the hand comes out first, so the birthright should go to that child. But the second twin comes out. I think it's Perez. And from that one, the line of David derives. And you've got to repair this breach. You've got to make things whole again in the Hebrew way of looking at things, in the biblical way of looking. You have to repair that breach. Well, it's not done when Israel's still a nation. It's done when Tephi goes to Ireland and marries back into the family. That repairs the breach, and then it hands the scepter back off to the original son with a red string around his wrist, which is why there is a red thread through everything in the English government. And this, there's a they even used to put red threads in their ropes on their ships. That red thread in their in the Union Jack, that red thread is connected all the way back to that breach. Seems like a bunch of red tape to me. Yes, it's a bunch of red tape. But Jeremiah is told in the book of Jeremiah, he's told by by God, Yahweh, you're going to have three, you're going to uproot and overturn three times. Well, he uprooted the faith from the Holy Land, moved it to Ireland. From there, it eventually went to Scotland. And from Scotland, it went to England. And this book and some of the Irish lore records that he brought with him the destiny stone. Well, that's one of the things that the Bethel stone was called the house of El, house of Yahweh, the destiny stone. That's the stone that the Israelites carried around with them. They put it up on a pillar and they'd, they'd carry it around with them. That's the stone that Jacob laid his head on. That is believed to be the stone that is sitting in the coronation throne right now, the bottom of the throne under it, of the English king, king and queen. They've been coronated on that stone ever since it got overturned the third time. They can trace that the lineage of the royal family of England traces their lineage all the way back to David. That's been done. The genealogy has been done. I'll, I'll show you where you can find that in a little bit. So I tend to be very sympathetic with this because this is ancient. This is not a modern thing. This, this goes back hundreds of years. But this is a, another piece of the story. And then I got to... My mouse disappeared on me. Then we have this one. This is very interesting. Let me blow this up for you. The traditions of Glastonbury, the Bible's missing years of Christ. 
you have to remember that his uncle, Jesus's uncle, Joseph of Arimathea, is a Darius. It means he is a governor, an overseer of the Roman mines throughout the Roman Empire. Well, he, that means he travels a lot. It also means he's wealthy. And we're never, ever told in the Bible that Joseph's family, that Jesus's family, rather, is wealthy. We're told that he has no place to lay his head. That does not mean you're poor. It means you don't have an established home. We've got hints in the scriptures themselves, in the gospels themselves, that he had the money he needed to do whatever. It's just he, did, he wasn't in love with it. Okay, that wasn't the center of his focus. But it, this book here records the ancient writings from England of the Darius who brings the child and his mother, Mary. And they stay in Glastonbury for quite a while. Excuse me. Years. This is part of where he's raised. We also know he spends years in Egypt. We don't know how long he's in Egypt. But I don't know that these writings are correct. I know this. They make sense. You scripturally, you might want to get this child the heck out of the Middle East because Herod's not the only one that's going to want to put him to death. You might not want to bring him back until it's time for him, but he could have also been educated here. I don't know. All I'm telling you is this is a hint in the legend and the lore around this whole subject. This is a hint. Now, this is the part of, if I'm not mistaken, this is the part of Southwest England that we know to have been settled by Hebrews early, early, early on before the kingdoms are destroyed. Then the same author, this is um, Raymond Capt. He writes this book, Missing Links Discovered. And what has happened is in, in the Assyrian tablets, they've, they've got, these books are older. When uh, the Assyrians, they've done some archeological research, they found a tablet that records the taking of the Northern Kingdom and where the people went. And it ends up that they're up in uh, the area where the Scythians are. And then from this, he traces you in this book all the way through the archaeological evidence where it follows the Scythians up into the Anglo-Saxon people all the way into England, follows their migration all the way through, using archaeological evidence and linguistic patterns. That's a very good book. Everything I'm showing you so far, I own and have read I own a lot of books on this subject that are not in this show because I deem them to be flack. You know, they're, they're chaff, they're, they're noise, in my opinion. So I'm not going to share something that I would not rely on for my own edification. But these books here, I own these books. Now, I told you Tuesday you'd see this again. We're still talking about the Celts. Where'd they come from, right? Well... The Celts, their history, their own writings connect them to the Scythians. So, okay, let's see where all this takes us. Abraham's seed, heirs of the promise. This is the promise made to Abraham that will be traced through Isaac. Whoops, I didn't mean to do that. Wrong button. I'm having fun with my screen today, folks. Genesis 22, verses 16 through 18. And said, by my, this is Yahweh, God talking and said, by myself, I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. This is right after God stops Abraham from sacrificing Isaac. He says, indeed, I will greatly bless you 
and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars in the heavens and the sand, which is on the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gates of their enemies. And in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. All right. How do we did where do we go with this? First of all, all of the people of Abraham, his descendants are going to be like the seed, you know, the stars of the sky and sands on the shore. This is not just Isaac, the Hebrews. This is also the Ishmaelites and all the people born of his seed. Okay, so you're going to have lots of people groups come out of Abraham. But the birthright, his blessings, all the promises made to Abraham are going to go through Isaac. That's also in the Bible. We have to jump from there to the divine divorce of Israel. This is where a lot of Christians say that, that they, they, they refuse to accept this. They're like, it's not there. Okay, fine. This is connected to the promises of, of uh, this is connected to the Scythians. Because if you read, you're going to find the name Scythian in your Bible. Okay, yeah, Paul even mentions them. And God knows where they're at. He says they're straight north of Israel. And he calls them enemies of Israel. Well, that would make you think that they're not Hebrews. Only the problem with that is if you're an apostate believer, God himself says he hates you. He said he hates parts of Israel for being apostate. Pay attention to this because this is part of this starts in the third chapter of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 3 is connected to the Scythians, who the Celts are quoting themselves as being from. So faithless Israel. Chapter 3, verse 6. Then the Lord said to me in the days of Hosiah, have you seen what faithless Israel did? Faithless, apostate. She's not staying true to Yahweh. She went up on every high hill and under every leafy tree, and she prostituted herself there. She committed apostasy. She worshiped other gods. Said, yet I thought after she has done all these things, she will return to me. But she did not return, and her treacherous sister Judah saw it. And I saw that for all the adulteries of faithless Israel, I had sent her away and given her a certificate of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but she went and prostituted herself also. And because of the thoughtlessness of her prostitution, she defiled the land and committed adultery with stones and trees, apostasy, worship of pagan gods. Yet in spite of all this, her treacherous sister Judah did not return to me with all her heart, but rather in deception, declares the Lord. All right, real quick. Given a divorce, in the Hebrew, it's a get. This is the type of divorce you get before the consummation of the marriage. When in the Hebrew wedding, you have the wedding uh, contract is negotiated. This is when the bridegroom and his father come and knock at the door of the, of the bride-to-be. And if you open the door, they come in and sup. Now, if that makes you think of the first chapter of Revelation, it should, because that's what Revelation's referring to is the Hebrew wedding ceremony. And they would write out a contract for the wedding. And it had five parts, kind of like a Pentateuch in the first five books of the Bible. And in that, that when they were done, they would have four glasses of wine. Well, they would have three. The fourth is at the wedding ceremony itself. So when Yeshua at the Last Supper has his, his wine, he says, I will not drink of the fruit of the wine again until I come into my kingdom. He's talking about the wedding supper. When he has the fourth, that's the glass that they always put the handkerchief over and crush and say, Mazel tov. That's the fourth. This, this is all part of, of covenant language. But the get, that divorce, that's the one that happens between the contract being signed and the actual wedding ceremony where the, the marriage is consummated. 
when Joseph thinks about giving Mary a divorce because she's found to be with child, he's thinking about giving her a get. Under the law of Yahweh, if a husband divorces his wife, he cannot remarry her unless he dies. Y'all understand what that just what I just said? This is in Romans chapter 7, the book of Romans chapter 7. Paul brings this up. Under Yahweh's law, Jesus cannot be remarried to the, to the church unless Yahweh's dead. Who's Jesus? Yahweh in, in human form, right? What happened on the cross? He died, right? He can now remarry the bride legally without committing adultery. So don't tell me that the northern tribe wasn't divorced. He says right here, this is Yahweh speaking through Jeremiah. It says he divorced the northern kingdom, but did not divorce the south. So for those believers who reject the two kingdom theology, you're rejecting the word of Yahweh. I'm sorry, but you're going places I fear to tread. Hosea 7, 8, Ephraim is himself thrown about within the nations. Ephraim has become a round loaf not turned over. Okay, Ephraim is the leader of the northern kingdom. He's the strongest military tribe. He's the holder of the birthright. This is why he's important. He holds your inheritance. If you want to get grafted into the kingdom of Yahweh, you come in through Ephraim. Today, we call it the Christian church. But he has been thrown about in the nations, sifted. This is biblical prophecy. He's been all over. The northern kingdom is everywhere. But it was located in primary areas. Ephraim has become a round loaf, not turned. If you don't turn a loaf, they would take their, their loaf of bread and they'd bake it on top of the stove, this little clay stove. It's like a dome and, the, and you put the fire inside it. And they'd cook on top of it like a frying pan. Okay, so what you have here is a pancake that hasn't been turned over. Now, I know a lot of people think, well, they'll read this and they'll say, well, that means they're burned up in the nations. The problem with a pancake that's never turned over, and I've done this before, the bottom will burn, but the top never cooks. No matter how long you leave it there, for some reason, it never really cooks. What this is probably meaning is in their time, you have to turn the cake over. What the, the better possibility of this interpretation here is that Ephraim's story is not over. Now, why do I choose that interpretation? Because they Hosea keeps talking about Ephraim. You're, we're talking about Ephraim all the way into the book of Revelation. The house of Israel goes all the way into the book. Well, that means they're not burned up. They're not done. They're not dead. They're not gone. So what it does mean is that from the time Hosea is writing, when the northern kingdom has been dispersed, then that means that, that there's still more story left. So the cake not turned means Ephraim's story is not over to me. That's how I understand it. Also because of this. This is this, this is where we're going to go, right? Ephraim's burnt up. He's in the nations, so we're done with him, right? To the ends of the earth. Deuteronomy 33, verses 16 through 17. This is the blessing of, of the different individual sons of, of uh, Israel, of Ju Jacob. You know, Israel and Jacob, same person here. With the choice things of the earth and its fullness, it says, with the favor of him who dwelt in the bush, let it come to the head of Joseph and to the top of the head of the one who was prince among his brothers. So this is a blessing to Joseph, which means it's going to apply to Ephraim and Manasseh because Joseph is a split tribe. But even if it doesn't, this comes to the head of Ephraim first because he was put ahead of Manasseh. 
As the firstborn of his ox, majesty is his, and his horns are the horns of the wild ox. With them he will gore the peoples, all at once, to the ends of the earth. And those are the ten thousands of Ephraim, and those are the thousands of Manasseh. Well, there's Hebrew parallelism telling you who we're talking about. Ephraim and Manasseh. Ephraim's going to be a more populous, more, more people. And he's going to, they're going to be pushed to the ends of the earth like an ox. Well, the ox is a symbol of Ephraim. And the King James Bible thinks it's a unicorn. So when you see the unicorn in the royal seal of the, of the royal family of England, that's Ephraim. That should be a bull. But in this case, either way, whatever you want to do. And no, I'm not misinterpreting that. That's because they didn't, when they translated the Masoretic text, they did not understand Hebrew as well as they do today. We've learned more. It's not because they did it on purpose. It was just an accident. Best they could understand it. So what we know is that Ephraim is going to be pushed all over the world to the ends of the earth. Ephraim's awakening, a love story of how Yahweh is going to redeem the unfaithful bride. Hosea 1.10 says, Yet the number of the sons of Israel, that's the house of Israel, will be like the sands of the sea, which cannot be measured or counted. And in the place where it is said to them, You are not my people, it will be said to them, You are the sons of the living God. So in all the places where they are pushed, there will come a time where beforehand they were told, yeah, you're not Hebrews. It'll finally be awoken and people, other people will say, you are sons of the living God. That is, that's happening. That's been happening for about 200 years now. Hosea 2, 23 says, I will sow her for myself in the land, her. Hosea writes to the Northern kingdom. He's the prophet to the house of Israel. So he's talking about Israel. In the land, meaning the whole earth, all over the world. I will also have compassion on her who had obtained compassion, who had not obtained it. In other words, he's going to have compassion for northern the northern kingdom, even though that she's a harlot, she's turned, you know, prostituted on him, cheated on him. He says, and I will say to those who were not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. In other words, you'll become Christians. You'll graft into the Ephraim you call ourselves Christian, but you are just under the new covenant. You're Hebrews or you're Gentiles grafted into the Hebrews under the new covenant. Yeshua said, I was sent, but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, when he sends out the 72 or the 70, however you count it, he says, don't go to Judea and don't go to Samaria, but go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He could have been sending them to the Scythians. He could have been sending them to Britain. And it is recorded in British writing that some of the apostles made it up there. I just don't know exactly what time it was. Was it before or after the crucifixion? I don't know. But this leads us to this. All of this comes to Jeremiah in the second exodus. Did you know that there is a second exodus prophesied in the Bible? A second exodus. Have we had it yet? It, it, a lot of people think it's when the Jews returned to Israel. It may have been, but that doesn't fit the prophecies. It says, then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the lands where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their pasture, and they will be fruitful and multiply. Jeremiah 23, 3. This is Jeremiah 16, 14 through 18. Yahweh will restore them. Therefore, behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when it will no longer be said, as the Lord lives, who brought up the sons of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but it'll be said, you know, I'm, I'm adding, 
as the Lord lives, who brought up the sons of Israel from the land of the north and from the lands where he had banished them. The land of the north at this time is the Scythians. For I will restore them to their own land, which I gave to their fathers. Behold, I am coming to send for many fishermen, declares the Lord, and they will fish for them. And afterwards, I will send for many hunters, and they will hunt for them every mountain and every hill from the clefts and the rocks. For my eyes are on all their ways. They are not hidden from my face, nor is their wandering concealed from my eyes, or their wrongdoing, rather. I will first repay them double for their wrongdoing and their sin, because they have defiled my land. They have filled my inheritance with the carcasses of their detestable idols and their abominations. So this is a prophecy it's directed to people to the north. In ancient Israel, the people to the north is also thought of that's where all the evil comes from, because that's where they were always being invaded from. Well, if you're an apostate part of the Hebrew people, that's going to be evil is going to be connected with you. Yahweh is right here talking to his people. He's talking to the house of Israel. He says he's going to send for them from the north. He's going to go hunt for them from the north. That's the Scythians. That's the area of the Scythians. He doesn't say the north, south, east, and west. He doesn't say all four corners of the world. He says he's going to go look for them from the north. And he says he's going to send hunters eventually, but first fishermen. But first, he's going to punish them. Well, okay, to the southern tribe, you're being punished. That's going to see them as adversaries to a Jew. Now, where did Jesus send the 70? But to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Well, at his in that time, they're beyond the great river Euphrates, according to Josephus, the Scythians. But later, he's going to send hunters for them. Well, let me ask you a question. We all should remember this passage. This is Matthew 4.19. He said, and he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men, fishers of people. This is, um, this is an NIV translation. In the original, it says fishers of men. We put people in here to make it culturally acceptable. It says, if the apostles and the disciples are the fishers of men, then I have a question for you. Jeremiah said it'll be hunters too. Who are the hunters of men? Hmm. Now we'll go into that when we come back after the break, but I want to, I've got a brother of mine who thinks that the hunters of men are the ones who want to kill the Jews. Well, we've had those people from the very beginning. Remember um, the queen who goes into the, the king of uh, ba- uh, Persia or whatever, or Babylon, Esther, is it, Charlie? She begs for um, the lives of the Jews. Yes. Okay. Mordecai has tricked the king into issuing a decree, kill all the Jews. Well, they're after, I mean, people have been after the Jews forever and ever. Okay. So I don't think the hunters of men is talking about people who are looking to kill them. We've had that forever. I think the hunters of men are the ones looking for the lost tribes because that lines with prophecy. There's also a prophecy that says in the end times during the second Exodus, Ephraim will return trembling from the West. Okay. If Yahweh is going to send hunters of men or fishers of men to the north, fishers of men first or whatever, to the to the north, that's where the Scythians are. But as another one of his prophets says that Ephraim is going to return trembling from the west. Well, if you're in Jerusalem at the time of Jesus, Ephraim's to the north. Where is he now? He's to the west. If you're in Jerusalem and you look west, you look right through the Straits of Gibraltar, and if you look long enough on the globe, you end up looking right at the east coast of America, real close to D.C. and New York. 
the prophecies have to be read on a big timeline throughout all of history. And you have to align the pieces in such a way that they start making sense. Because if I'm going to send the fishers of men after, you know, the northern kingdom to the north where the Scythians are, but they're going to return from trembling from the west, that doesn't make sense. Unless, of course, those prophecies are talking about two different periods of time, two different points in human history, which is how I put them in my puzzle in my head. And this is what I do with the prophecies with scripture. I start arranging all the pieces so that they make sense with the Bible. The Bible is the Rosetta Stone for me. So where are we at so far? Where we're at right now is I have the Celts telling me we're connected to the Scythian people out of Egypt. But I have archaeology telling me that the Scythians don't emerge as a people until about the time the Northern Kingdom is dispersed. But then I also have archaeology saying that, well, wait a minute. There were Scythians all down in the Holy Land hundreds of years before that. Well, how is it the Scythians just appear, but yet they, they, they've existed for hundreds of years at the same time? That doesn't make sense. Either I've got two different people groups here, or they're the same people group, and you refuse to look at it from a biblical lens because you don't want to believe the Bible. So either one works for me. Archaeology says the Scythians came from the steppe, the Russian steppe from the east. But that's also not what's recorded in a lot of archaeology says that. But the ancients say that the Scythians just appeared. Poof, here they are. Or they migrated from the Holy Lands. Either one works for me because, you see, if it's just a poof, here they are, or they migrated from the Holy Lands, in both cases, it is possible for them to have been Hebrews. You've just got ancient people looking at the Hebrews from two different perspectives, maybe not knowing about it. So if I've got the Babylonians writing about it and the Assyrians writing about it, they may not both know exactly what's going on. So they find the same people groups and they tell the story from their perspective, from the Babylonian or the Assyrian perspective, or from the Greek perspective. So for me, that works, that clicks. The Celts connect to the Scythians. The Scythians are actually Hebrews. And then when they settle in the Caucasus Mountains and they come out of the Caucasus Mountains into Eastern and Southeastern Europe and start moving north, northwest, up toward the Scandinavian countries and up toward the, the northern coast of Europe and into, into England, they become the Saxons and the Anglo-Saxons. But when they when the Celts come across the Iberian Peninsula, Spain, they become known as Celts, same group of people, and it works. Unless you're trying to trace them through DNA. Ha ha! Caught you, Joe. No, no, you didn't, because the people trying to trace them through the DNA are not using the Rosetta Stone, which is why they're not finding what you know. They're not. They're expecting to find something different than what they're finding. Well, there's a reason for that. Now. Real quick, before we go to the break, everybody talks about the fake Jews, the Ashkenazis. Well, they come from the East, Joe. They're fake Jews. No, there's Ashkenazis that come from the West, too. The ones that come from the East come from the area, the border between the Scythian lands and Eastern Europe, right in that region. The Western Ashkenazis come from Spain. Y'all see a connection yet? The Western Ashkenazis are Celtic. The Eastern Ashkenazis are Scythian. They're both Hebrews. They're just not Jews. They converted to Judaism. Well, why? Because they were part of the Northern tribes. They were always Hebrew. They were always Jewish in that sense, religiously. 
they had just turned apostate. So when they quote unquote revert back to Judaism, that is part of Ezekiel, the way I read it, the way I see it, that is part of the fulfillment of Ezekiel 37, bringing the two sticks of Joseph and Judah back together again. Oh, by the way, if there are not two tribes, why are there two sticks in his hand? Uh, anybody got an answer to that one? Crickets? Yeah, that's what I thought. The two sticks have to be rejoined because they're two houses. The Bible tells us very clearly we're dealing with two houses. It hasn't totally been rejoined yet. This is one of those things that now and in the future. I tried to teach you that in prophecy before. All right, six minutes when we come back, let's talk about the hunters of the lost tribes. See you in a bit.
Okay, real quick, something that came to me during the break before we go into the hunters of men. And yeah, I'm going to just jump right back into this because we still got a lot to cover today. You know, if you're a Bible believer, you've heard the phrase, you know, stir up your sons, O grace against your sons, O Israel, et cetera, et cetera. Well, we know that there are Egyptians and there are Babylonians and Assyrians. Why are we stirring up Greece? Well, it's because Greece is the only one we're fighting at the time. Well, Romans were around at the time and so were the Egyptians and whatever. There's something else that's possibly going on here. Greece is more than just the nation of Greece. It was the empire of Greece, which at the time would largely include the area where the Scythians were. <laughs> There's a pattern here, and I, I just really grabbed onto it, and, and I'm still running with Clay Tolar's comment to me yesterday, his question that he asked about Adam and Eve and the tree of knowledge. And it that boy, we're gonna have to get into that because that led me down some really cool answers. I kept asking questions. So what's the pattern here that's yeah, connected? Thank to, you for that question. Yeah, that was a great question. So what's the pattern here? Well, what happens between in prophecy, the southern kingdom is going to be exported to Babylon for 70 years, and then they're gonna come back and they will never again become apostate. They will be corrupted in their ways, like the Pharisees are corrupted in their ways. Yeah, Clay, you got that thumbs up, brother. But we can still recognize the Orthodox Jew today as all the way back to Moses. You can see them trying to keep the teachings of Moses. They don't have a temple, but they're still doing the best they can. That's a fulfillment of prophecy. They have never left that. But the Northern Kingdom, the Samaritans, you know, that, that the Samaria, the Northern Kingdom, they've been apostate ever since. They keep trying to do it their way. They keep trying to rely on their own. They keep trying to remake Yahweh, and, and they keep trying to rewrite Yahweh's ways. They've been trying that ever since. Well, the, if, if, if this theory is correct, then a lot of the leadership in what would be the kingdom of Greece, the Scythians, both East and Western Scythians, they try to do it their own way. That's the people who keep trying to do it their own way. So this, when the Bible mentions the sons, O Greece, the, the sons, O Israel, that could be the northern kingdom or the southern kingdom. Could be, could be. But the pattern fits. And it fits all the way through prophecy. So when the two sticks are rejoined and we have all of Israel moved to the United Kingdom and you have Judah and uh, Ephraim all living together there, what happens? Well, there's a tax revolt. And Israel remains, Judah remains in England and Ephraim and Manasseh split just like they did before in the ancient times. And it becomes the colonies. We're still fighting over each other. England's trying to do it whatever way, but I mean, the pattern, the, the, the prophetic patterns, the, the, the spirit of each other fits. So when the North and the South keep fighting, Ephraim and Manasseh tried to split there for whatever reason, Yahweh stopped it there. But the Scythians have always been doing this. So you might have a group of them that become Ashkenazi Jews, but that's just that's because that Jews those those went home, they went back to Torah. That's part of prophecy, folks. So that that spirit's kind of where the the big Hellenization influence came from as well, right? Yes, it it would be like the Samaritans influencing Judah, Judea. Right. Yes, yes. If you're looking at it this way, for me. This is a huge, if you drive, if you go down this rabbit hole, be prepared. You're going to be at it for years. Every one of the books I've been showing you so far, I've read, and we ain't even gotten started. You're going to see. 
And these are the ones, and I've read more. I've read about three times as many as I'm going to show you on this one subject. I'm trying to explain to you the best I've been able to make out of this mess. So far, all this fits. The way I'm explaining it fits. That doesn't mean it's correct. I'm using the Bible as my Rosetta Stone. I'm using that as my compass. I'm explaining to you how the storyline fits in my head. So let's go to some more books. Symbols of our Celtic Saxon heritage, W.H. Bennett. These are the heraldry symbols that are in the different royal houses of Europe. They all trace themselves back to the different flags of the, of the lost tribes, all 12 tribes, but primarily the 10 northern ones. And you can trace the people groups through those flags. Then the story of the Celto-Saxon Israel. Celto-Saxon? Yes. Celto-West Scythians? Saxon East Scythians. Same guy, W.H. Bennett. Still alive. I want to try and find this author. But these books, if you go to your homework, you'll find that I've listed your books for you. Here, real quick. This is the homework. This is the road to concord.com. I've listed the year that the, these books were print were, were published. Some of them are not quite in order, like with this one here, Cat. He, the, his book here, the book of uh, Tephi is ancient. That's a classic reprint. And then Glastonbury, that's another ancient book. Those, those things go back hundreds of years, but he published them in 2008. And then Henry uh, Pirenni, he, he's in 1954. Emmett Scott, 2012. We'll get to these, but W.H. Bennett, these books go back to 1976. The reason I want to cover that, you know, when were these things published? I want to show you that this work is ongoing over years and years and years, but it's started to increase since about the mid-1800s. Started to get really busy. But this gentleman, he traces on the left, that book he traces through the, the heraldry, you know, the coat of arms. On the right, he's tracing archaeology and linguistic and cultural um, connections. And then he's got another book. This one is fascinating. This is a little book. All of these books in your homework are connected to your page on Amazon where you can buy them. Some of these are cheap books. The Ancient Israeli Tribe of Dan and the Sea Peoples. Wow. Is this, this is like a 50 something page little book. That is fascinating. And Dan can be traced by the way he renames everything to his DN. Anything with a DN in it in ancient names is more than likely connected to Dan Denmark is Danmark. Literally. Yes. In the ancient way of writing, you wouldn't have D E N Mark. You'd have D N M R K. Danmark. And yes, the Danites in Denmark are, they are the same people. We know this. Well, the Danes are Anglo-Saxons. There's your connection. Thomas Jefferson found the connection. He even noted it, that the Anglo-Saxons way of life was very similar to the Israelite people. The Northern Kingdom rewrites its laws and does it its own way, but it keeps the patterns. It just wants to, it's like Christianity. I want to follow the Bible my way. Yahweh says that don't work, Jack. But that's the pattern because we married into the Greek mindset and we went too far to that side, too far to the individualistic me, 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 me. We forgot that somewhere between me, 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 and the society, 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 there's a happy medium. That's where the Hebrew lives. 
the Orthodox Jew is there. He thinks about himself, but he also thinks about society. He's still rooted in where he's supposed to be. This book here tells you where Dan went. Oh, boy, is this good. And it's documented. Now, these two books, The Hidden Beast 2 starts, he started doing his research in the 1970s. He found the two houses of Israel totally on his own, and he was researching Islam. We've covered his that, that book in the slideshow presentation we've done on Wednesdays over the summer. On the right, Judah's scepter and Joseph's birthright. He covers the two houses. And he goes back to the late 1800s. That book was published in 1903, I think. Why are these important with the different, you know, how's this connected to the Saxons and the Scythites? <laughs> Read the books. <laughs> Both of them trace, especially the one on the right. The one on the right traces almost every passage about Ephraim and Judah in prophecy and, and puts them in there for you. What it's doing is it's showing you Ephraim. That's what connects you to the Scythians. And the Scythians will connect you directly to the Anglo-Saxons in the east and to the Celts in the west. So these books are tangentially related to our subject today. Then we have this book. It's America and Britain in Prophecy, David C. Pack. They, he traces all the prophetic utterances in the Bible, and he connects it to some of the people groups that and everything that goes on in history. But again, Celts in the west. Anglo-Saxons in the East, both of them Scythians in the ancient way of looking at Scythia. You and I would call them Hebrews, Israelites. Then these, these books, this is a series of books. You can buy all six of them if you want at one time off of Amazon. How the Irish Saved Civilization, the untold story of Ireland's heroic uh, role from the fall of Rome to the rise of medieval Europe. This is about the overturning it's later in time, but this is about the Celtic people and how that's where our faith was moved. And then over to Scotland and then into England, the second book in the series, it's all by Thomas Cahill says the gift of the Jews, how a tribe of desert nomads changed the way everyone thinks and feels all the earth will be blessed through Abraham's seed, all the promises through Isaac. Well, the promises include blessing the world through Isaac. Isaac gives you the Torah, the Judeo-Christian faith. Third book in the series is Desire of the Everlasting Hills, the world before and after Jesus. And then the fourth book is Sailing the Wine-Dark Sea, Why the Greeks Matter. That's a good book. And the last two in the series, Mysteries of the Middle Ages, the rise of the Femish science and art from the cults of Catholic Europe. Catholic Europe, that is like Samaria. That is an apostasy of the true faith. I am not telling you if you're a Catholic, you're going to hell. I am saying you are caught in mystery Babylon. 100% take it to the bank. So are you Protestants. Last book in the series, Heretics and Heroes. How Renaissance Artists and Reformation Priests Created Our World. Renaissance and Reformation. This is an attempt to get back to the original faith. They didn't go far enough. Today, the Christian Roots Movement. 
is an attempt to get back to the original faith. They've gone too far. They've gone, they've almost become Jews. This six book series, they're all about yay thick, they're paperback. If you buy the whole thing at one time, I think it's like 70 bucks. This is the closest I can come to telling you how I see the history of the world. Good series. I don't agree with everything. He's missing a few pieces, but he filled in a few for me as well along the way. What he does, though, is he picks it up. Basically, he's going to tell you how everything went from the time of Jeremiah. That's a good series right there, folks. And probably tomorrow, I'll explain to you how I see time. I've learned to see time like a Hebrew. It took a long time. It took a while. It took years for me to do this. But I have learned to view time, history, the history of man, like an ancient Hebrew. This book, These books helped me do that. Then there's this one. The Lost Ten Tribes of Israel Found, Stephen M. Collins. The PDF is in your homework. You can download it. You can keep it. This traces the ten tribes archaeologically, linguistically, culturally, using the heralds of their signs, you know, the the coats of arms. Uh, I mean, this just traces them everywhere. Good work, documented work. After this, he wrote four new updated books. He expands on the information here. The Origins and Empire of Ancient Israel and Israel's Lost Empires. This is how Israel comes into being on the left, and then on the right, Israel's lost empires. What was the greatest empire in the ancient world? It's been lost to history. You will not find it unless you're looking through people like this. Unless you're looking for like Mr. Kylan here or whatever, you're not going to find this. Unless Unless you're a Bible believer, you will not find the greatest empire in the entire ancient times. It was... Kingdom. Kingdom of Shlomo. Yep, or David Solomon. and Solomon. David yeah. Solomon was the pinnacle. Yeah. We are told Solomon drew tribute from around the world yeah. every year. He touched everywhere. The globe. His was the only kingdom to ever rule the globe. The only one. Which actually is, in a way, is a fulfillment of a prophecy there. And... Why did it fall? Because he forgot who his that it was Yahweh that did all this, not him. So as soon as he falls, his son, I want more taxes. And it all goes to Hades from there. Yeah, and how did that happen? He married... Um, he married it? women he was told women not to he marry. he was not supposed to. Uh, pagan believing women. Yeah, there was something about that somewhere. Yeah, he wouldn't convert them. They'd, they'd take him away. And they did. And a lot of his quote-unquote concubines in the Bible, oh, look, he was like, no, 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 no. Those are the different princesses from around the world being married into his family to make political allegiances. This is actually recorded outside of the Bible all over the world. You will find extra biblical references to paying just different names. You got to research it. He drew homage even from the Solomon Islands every year. Hmm. Why was that written out of history? You won't find it, not unless you're looking for it. You're going to have to look hard. Because that would support that that book called the Bible. That Bible book. Yeah. Yep. We can't do that. Then there's the Kingdom of Parthia. 
the forgotten ancient superpower in its role in biblical history. Lots of technology here. Parthia, Persians, that area in there. It's in the same part of the world. These are going to be connected to the Scythians. These are the Bab these are the Jews that who who remained behind in Babylonia. And then Israel's tribes today. He traces them for you and shows you where they're at. He does a good work. This is what started me. Um, that book right there is what started me on this hunt. Everything you're seeing today, I've read. I own it. It's on my shelves right now. We could go to the house and I could pull them all off. They're all on one shelf. They're all together. I've read all of them and more. I mean, case in point. Hold on a second. I read this one in my pursuit here. The Covenant, One Nation Under God. Well, I thought, okay, well, cool. This is going to be, it's by Timothy Ballard. And I said, well, it's going to be about um, tracing the, the prophetic, you know, destinations of this country. And it is from a Mormon perspective. I'm not going to teach that to you. But I've read a lot of these books that way. And a couple of them are, are I've got one of them in here today that's dangerous. And I'll address it with you, but it's in here because it's good. His argument is valuable in my opinion. But I have done all of this. <laughs> in about the last five years. And I'm still not to a point where I could really give this class well. This is the best I can do for today. Here's a book, the Anglo-Israel Thesis. This traces the Scythians from the East. It's compelling evidence that Caucasian Europeans descended from the ancient Israelites. Read Benson. Oh, isn't that going to cause a whole lot of trouble? Get rid of this white israelite mess that's no because the people who argue that they're just as messed up as the others and i will get to that in a little bit we're talking about spiritual ethnicity not skin color i am not going to focus on your skin color that is not me i reject it that's not what i'm talking about here but if i look at the archaeology the linguistics the written records this is a good book it traces the Anglo-Saxons from the Caucasus Mountains. I'm not going to say Caucasian. From the Caucasus Mountains. Scythians. Another thing you're going to find when you research the Scythians, they all of a sudden just disappear. Woof! Right off the face of the earth. And nobody went, where did they go? Which way did they go, George? Which way did they go? They went northwest, you moron, into Eastern Europe. Just like the people who claim they became the Anglo-Saxons say they did. And this book and that other one I showed you earlier with the archaeology, they show you the trek. And the Danites are with them. The Danube River. Danube River. Yes, linguistically, that's named after Dan. There are a whole bunch of stuff in the western part of Russia named after Dan. So that's the best way to trace this. Not by skin color, by language. Language is the best way to trace these, these things. And here's another book for you. It says, when Scotland was Jewish, DNA evidence, archaeology, analysis of migration, and public and family records show 12th century Semitic roots. What? Yeah, another overturning from Ireland to Scotland to England. Three overturnings. Exactly what the Bible told me to look for. This is by Spikerman. Who are you, America? Time to lift it up your prophetic veil. These are the prophecies of Ephraim and Manasseh. Now, Spikerman thinks the United States is Manasseh. 
he has not read his prophecy very closely. The United States is Ephraim and Manasseh. England is the remnant of Israel. There's been a split again. But this is a game-changing revelation. It's a two-volume set. You can buy them together on, on Amazon if you want. But this is about, this is another retelling of the prophecies in the Bible that locate America and England. Okay. Here's where we start getting into woolly rabbits. Will the real Israel please stand up? How Christians are robbed of their heritage by James N. Jester. When I first started reading this book, I put it down. I'm like, okay, this guy's a white supremacist. For whatever reason, I picked it back up and I finished reading it a couple months after that. His argument is good. He's got some emotional stumbling blocks in the way of what he's doing. And I know where they come from, and I'm going to introduce that to you in a little bit. If you ever read this book, filter out anything that sounds like he's being racist. Look at the archaeological linguistic evidence. Look at that type. Look at the historical records. If you think you're detecting racism in there, just filter it out. This is a book for disciplined readers. Okay, I'm warning you now. You got to be disciplined. You got to be focused. Or he'll lead you astray and he'll get you into things. He'll take you somewhere you don't need to be. Why did I share it? Because he has a valid argument. And his animosity is not altogether unfounded. And I'm not going to ever hide things like this from my audience. I'm an acquired taste. I'm a jack wagon. I know I'm hard to listen to, but I'm also very, very truthful, straightforward, and in your face. I say what I mean, I mean what I say, and I'm not going to hide things from you. I'm here to educate. What you do with it is on you. I'm not responsible for what you do with this. It's you and the person in your mirror. But I am responsible if I hide something of value from you because I think you can't handle it. I'm not that type of person. I'm just telling you, this book can be useful. And I'm warning you, be careful if you read it. Okay? So make of that what you will. There's a, another book. This one's also good. This is by Colonel J.C. Uh, Gowler. Dan, the pioneer of Israel. Where is the tribe today? Remember, Dan is lost out of revelation, right? Not there. And everybody thinks, well, they're so apostate. I don't know what goes on with Dan. I just know this hammer knocker gets everywhere in history. And you need to read about him. These, these books on Dan, there's a reason there's so many books on Dan. It's a seagoing tribe. Dan is a serpent in the way. He goes everywhere. But notice, this is kind of interesting. He's a serpent in the way. That can mean he leaves his mark. It could also mean he's a Satan in the way. If you're getting into Hebrew wordplay, <laughs> he's a Satan in your path, which would bring me back to my sons of Greece and sons of Israel rising up and being against. Yeah, see, see where I'm going with that, Charlie. <laughs> All right. Genetics. Oh, boy. <clears throat> Buckle up, boys and girls. Going to get a little bumpy. This is a genetic map of the Italo-Celtic Y DNA. Um, this is your Western Scythians, your Celts. Okay, so the darker, the more Celtic, supposedly. They trace themselves to Egypt. Think tribe of Dan. What? Yes, think 
tribe of Dan. Not Scythian, Danites. All right, that's that one. That's how they do that DNA trace. This one's the Germanic tribes. But notice what they're calling Germanic tribes is actually Anglo-Saxon. That's your Eastern um, Scythians. So think Anglo-Saxon, not Germanic. And the darker, the more pure. So this is your West and Eastern Ashkenazis, your Western East, Eastern Scythians, your Celts, and your Anglo-Saxons. They're all connected. Um, here's another one real quick on your Anglo-Saxon migration. The Utes, Angles, Saxons, Frisians, Franks, or the Franks and Frisians, uh, all these people, they're, they're all Dan. They're all Danmark, and they're all part of the, the Eastern tribes and everything. Because don't forget, Dan comes up through Russia and into the, the – this is all connected to the Northern Kingdoms. Ephraim would be with them. He'd be in there. He'd be in the mix. Here's the problem that we're going to have with tracing Jews by genetics. You haven't read the guidebook, the Rosetta Stone, the Bible. Okay. Jews. Well, by definition, that is from the tribe of Judah. God said so, not me. So the southern kingdom becomes Judah, you know, the kingdom of Judah. This is half of the Benjamites, half of the Levites, and Judah. Now, Judah assimilates a good part of Simeon, which is another one of the tribes, but that's the primary genetic code. So primarily, it's it's from the, the son Jew, Judah, from the son of, of Jacob. So we would have to go back and we would have to find out which bridesmaid or which wife Judah comes from. I don't remember right off the top of my head, but that would be you know the father of genetics of Jacob and, and whichever bride that is whichever wife or handmaid. Remember, he's got two wives, and each wife has a handmaid. So we got four women involved here. What they're doing is they're tracing the genetics of the of the mothers because that's supposed to be unique. That's supposed to be the easiest thing to trace. So they're tracing genetics of the mothers. Well, guess what, folks? I already have four different women involved in the house of Israel. But it gets more complicated than that. So if I'm looking at Jews... Well, what else is going to be involved in that? Not just the house of Judah, not just Jews, not just for the people who come from Judah himself. There's going to be Levites in there. There's going to be Benjamites in there. There's going to be a few Simeons in there. We're also told in the Bible that a whole bunch of people from the northern kingdom that didn't want to follow the apostasy moved back. So now I got all 12 tribes, 13 really, mixed up in this mess. And we're told that a great mixed multitude come out of Egypt with them. So we've got a whole bunch of people from all over the world guess what? That's all different matriarchal. You don't know the genetic code of a Jew. You can't. It's not possible. Well, you can get closer to the genetic code of the Jew than you can the Northern Kingdom. How are you going to trace the Northern Kingdom? Okay, the Northern Kingdom, we want to trace Ephraim. Ephraim, he's got the birthright. Let's chase Ephraim. Well, I don't have any bloodlines of Judah. That's a different bride. That's Rachel. Okay, so I know that's pure Hebrew lineage because Rachel is of his of Jacob's family. So, okay, pure genetic lineage, but Joseph married an Egyptian. And we don't even know what lineage the Egyptian is. Was she black? Was she white? Was she tan? Was she this? Was she that? Was she Greek? We don't know. We don't know. So if I'm tracing the maternal genetic gene of the Northern Kingdom, I don't even know what I'm tracing to begin with. So I don't know what I'm looking for. So what good is DNA tracing for you? 
If you're looking for the lost tribes, genetics is not going to help you. You have to look through linguistics. Linguistics, ancient records, archaeology, and culture. And even when you get into archaeology, what you find in archaeology is a guess. You have to look at it and you go, okay, well, this is what I think it means. Well, if your Rosetta Stone is the Bible's garbage, then you're guessing all over the freaking place. Look, this is 50 bazillion years old. I carbon dated it. Yeah, man, but the thing underneath it said it's only two years old. And I carbon dated it, and it was below that, so it means it's older. Archaeology is a wag, not even a swag. Yes, it is. a Exactly. It is a wag, meaning a wild <clears throat> guess based on your perspective of world history. I'm using the Bible as my perspective because it's never been disproven. It has led people to discoveries that were right there where they said it would be. It's never been disproven, but it has been proven over and over and over again. So for me, it's kind of like E equals MC squared. Best theory I got so far. Never been disproven. Einstein hasn't been. To the best of my knowledge, neither has the Bible. So I'm sticking with that. Which tells me that I'm not going to be able to genetically trace these people. But I can trace them by their language, by their prophetic, by the prophecies. I can trace them by their culture. I can trace them by archaeological connections to their cultures. I can trace them by their religious practices. I, I got all sorts of ways like this to trace them. I don't, genetics is the least one I use because most people try run, hunt. They haven't got foggiest idea what they're looking for. Most of them have never read the Bible. So off you go on a hunt, not even know what it is you're looking for. You've assumed. Y'all know what you're going to find when you assume, right? Another rabbit trail. This is where the rabbits get hairy. Muhammad and Charlemagne by Henry Pirani, 1950s. That's when he wrote his book. He's doing the research before that. Then Emmett Scott, Muhammad and Charlemagne Revisited, History of a Controversy. What this is about is the ancient world, the classic world, was destroyed by Muhammad coming out of Arabia. That's the argument that Pirani makes. I agree with him. Boy, does he make a good argument. But then when you revisit it, he accidentally traces the, the lines of Islam all the way up into the Scandinavian countries. The Vikings come boiling out of Scandinavia and then start invading uh, Europe looking for gold, but mostly to capture women to, and men to sell as slaves to the Muslims. Well, how's that got anything to do with the tribes? <laughs> because in tracing all of this, he found the tribes. He just didn't realize it. Emmett Scott finds the tribes. When he's tracing the, the, the migration routes and the trade patterns of Islam up through Russia to the Scandinavian countries, he finds evidence of the tribes. It's in there. This is part of how I put the puzzles together. I was reading these for another reason. I read these two books in the study of Islam which I did before I started looking for the tribes. So when I started reading the tribes, I remembered what was in these books. And I'm like, holy crap, there's missing pieces. So if you're not reading with a big wide net, you can't get all the pieces put together. This is just part of how I work, folks. This is a quote by Carl Schmidt. Tell me who your enemy is, and I'll tell you who you are. Okay, what's that got to do with the lost tribes, Joe? What's that got to do with Islam? 
the imam throughout his life called america the great satan and he believed that all the muslim problem muslims problems were caused by america rahola khomeini we're the great satan the northern kingdom is greater than the southern if you tell me who your enemies are well, i'm his enemy america's his enemy he's antichrist his religion is thoroughly antichrist we've already covered that folks Whatever the Bible says is good, he says is bad. Whatever the Bible says is bad, he says is good. This is Isaiah 5, 20, 21, straight up and in our face. So if you tell me who your enemies are, you'll tell me who you are. One of us is the biblical Satan, the other isn't. Well, he follows an apostasy. I can prove that. Muhammad himself, all prophets come from the line of Isaac. I come from the line of Ishmael. Thank you, Muhammad, for admitting you're a false prophet. We're done. That was Muhammad's words, not mine, Jack. So what else? What about the lesser Satan? Oh, yeah. Jew is a Satan in human form. You notice who is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's your mom. The lesser and greater Satan. So he told me who he is. He's Satan. Well, if he's Satan and he says the United States is the great evil and the Jews are the lesser evil, what does that make the United States? The Northern Kingdom. Now, in the world of logic, that doesn't work. In the world of the secular historian, that doesn't work. In the world of theology, spiritual logic, that's perfectly acceptable. That's a Hebrew way of looking at things. That clicks into place. So I'll hold it because it works. It fits the bigger picture. By the way, if you're trying to figure out which one's the bad guy, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Luke 6.27. That's not from the book of Islam. That's from the Bible. That's Jesus talking to us. Agape our enemies and do good to them. Hmm. What does Islam want to do to us? Off with your heads! Okay. You decide which good and bad from that. Who is providing free electricity and water to... Gaza? Their enemy? Mm -hmm. Okay. Another rabbit. This is where it gets ugly. Celts and Scythians are the Celts Hebrews. Yeah, we've already covered part of this argument here. Okay. This is going to be connected. This part and the next part is connected. And I mean, this is, this. It, it, bear with me, folks. I know what I'm dealing with here. And I am, I, I, mm, I'm stampeding cows through a minefield. I'm going to hit one no matter what I do. I'm trying to make sure I hit as few as possible. The Scythians are where the Greeks say the Amazons come from. And they're noted for female warriors, redheaded female, female warriors. That's the Eastern... Eastern Scythians. The Western Scythians are redheaded too. Ireland, redheads. All through biblical history, King David is connected to red hair. Why is this important? Well, David, Adam, all of this, the color red, Adam, it means man. It also means earth. It's connected to red. Charlie, can pop in here just a second, Charlie, just audibly. Sure. You you study Hebrew. 
Yes. I'm not wrong here. This color red and Adam and David, all of this oh, yes. is mixed yeah, up in this, scripture with the wordplay, right? Yes, because Adam is, you know, what's the name of the first man, but it also can be referred to earth because he was created from. If I'm not mistaken, it also refers to, and it's connected to the color the, of blood as well. Adam is the Hebrew word for blood. Okay. So, the, yes. So yes. that's where the red and the blood part comes into play. So, yeah, it, it's all. There's a lot going on there. Yes, a ton of this. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of a word study, but yeah. but it all fits together. Okay, so in the Hebrew mindset, I should get the idea of red in some way, shape, or form. Oh yes. Okay, now ruddy. That you know, like that Esau is ruddy. That's mm -hmm. also, if you've ever noticed, these pale redheads, they, their skin also has kind of like, even though it's real pale white, it's got a ruddy look to it. You yeah. see the blood shining and, through. And they usually have uh, like red freckles. Yes. Okay. Like that so all of well. this is mixed up in this. Well, the red things, Charlie, the redheads here come from two different areas. They come from the East, the Scythians. They also come from the West, the Celts. That's because they're both Hebrews of the lineage of David. Why is that important? Indeed, it's David. Judah. The lion of the tribe of Jesus. Okay. But you get your Amazons from this. Your fierce warriors. It's probably a case of the Scythians allowed women to be warriors. And we're our, we already know the, war, the Scythians were great horsemen and they were fierce warriors and they were thought to be the most barbaric of barbarians. All right, we got that. They're connected to the Celts. Right there is the area where Scythia was at. Remember we were reading the book about Parthia, Iran, that's the Babylonians. That's also gonna, that's gonna be like the house of Judah. Okay, Judah is below Samaria. So the house of Israel is above the house of Judah in, in Israel, in the nation of Israel. How's that arranged right there? Scythia is the house of Israel. Parthia is the house of Judah. Those are the Jews who remained behind in Babylon. Whoopsie, north and south again. We have the same problems wherever we see these people. They arrange themselves. We have the earth echoes of the spiritual prophetic natures going on in here. All of this is nothing in, in, in a strictly logical sense. If I was in logic class, I'd get drummed out of there for this. I'm in theology class. Remember, that's just the philosophy of theology. I can use the principles of logic in that ground, but I've got to change the way I look at this. Like I told you the other day, you have to change your perspective. How to test it on its own merits. As soon as I do this, all of these pieces start clicking together. Okay, the looks of the people, how it's connected to the Bible and David, all of this, where they come from, their natures, the way they're always fighting and warring with each other. That leads us into this. Holy cow, is this where it gets ugly. Black Hebrews, black Hebrew Israelites. Oy. Okay, they'll even argue, they'll, they'll show you black people with red hair. And they'll say that what has happened, they argue that the Ashkenazis are all whites. The white man is evil. The white man's a devil. And the true Hebrews are black people. All black people are the true Hebrews. I don't want to get into this on racial terms. I don't. As far as I'm looking at this, they're, they're the blackest of black and the whitest of white is in the house of Yahweh. In the, in the whole house of Israel, all believers, it's not got anything to do with skin color. It's got to do with heart condition. And I despise people who argue on these lines. But this right here, is part of what that guy in the book I warned you about is doing. He's reacting to this. And he's claiming that the whites are having their, the Christian heritage stolen from them because of the racial animosities in our material world. This is all the work of Satan causing people, 
people to fight each other over melanin in your skin. It's to me, it's absurd. But we're even in a world today where me saying that is proof that I'm a white racist. And, and yes, there are people who are claiming that. But the Black Hebrew Roots movement, they actually claim that when everybody left the Holy Lands, they went into Africa. I'm not going to get into the refutation of all of this. This, this can be defeated quick and easy. And I have a few things in your homework. We're going to go back and circle back and cover some of this stuff in a little bit. As soon as we get done with this, I do tackle this for you. And I show you real quick and easy. Here's one of the easiest ways to do this. Let me blow this all up for you. This is a commemorative coin. This is a Roman coin. This is commemorating one of the defeats of the Maccabean revolt. You see that coin on the right? On the left is Julius, I mean, is Caesar or whatever. Caesar's whatever his name is. You can see that on the left. It says Caesar Averius or whatever. Gives you his name. He's the leader, you know, big old fat pudgy boy. He beat all these, these Judeans, Jews. And you can even see that. I-V-D-A-E-A, that's Latin for Judea. Those two people are Jews. When you look at the Hebrew black, the black Hebrew Israelite roots movement, they'll show you all these pictures and hieroglyphs that show supposedly nappy-headed people and say, see, proof that they're Hebrews. Mm, you need to go back and look at those, uh, those, those artifacts, archaeological artifacts again. Like Charlie was telling you, archaeology is a guess. Just because you found that thing in an area, if there's no writing on it, it doesn't tell you what it's about. We know what this is about. It's written right there on the coin. Okay, this is a commemorative coin to when they, they defeated the, the Jews, one of the revolts. The people depicted here are not nappy-headed. They're not necessarily white, don't get me wrong, but they're Semitic. They, they've got short hair and they've got beards. That's a woman on the right and a man on the left. This is a depiction of what the Hebrews, the Jewish, the people of Judea looked like in the time of Rome. So for me, this should be easy to deal with. By the way, it also kind of proves that the pagan hunters out there in the Hebrew roots movement that say your, your hippie Jesus is Zeus, you know, Romanized version of Zeus. Yeah, they got a reason to say that because Paul tells you in the, in the book of Corinthians, it says it's an, uh, it's an, uh, it's an insult. It's, it's not a good thing for a man to have long hair. You're supposed to cut your hair short unless you're on a Nazarite vow. Well, Jesus wasn't a Nazarite. He drank wine. So Jesus had short hair and John the Baptist probably had long hair down to his butt because he was a Nazarite his whole life. So anyhow, blah, blah, blah. I, uh, I digress with that. Now I told you we were going to circle back to some of this stuff. All right, let's put this up here for you. This is on my screen. This is from a, this is a Christian site here. CB international. It's, it's nominally Christian. It says the Scythians, who were they and why did Paul include them in Colossians 3.11? What? The Scythians are mentioned in the Bible? Oh, yes. Yes. Paul says um, in 3.11, we all know Colossians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor ma uh, free, male nor female, blah, 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 blah. But what about 3.11? Keep reading or read before. It says, he, quoting Paul, here there is no Greek or Jew circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. So Greek nor Jew, if I am correct, that means the 
apostate Hebrews of Greece or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, which is a way of saying Greek or Jew, barbarian or Scythian. Hmm. Now, what? that's just barbarians and Scythians, Joe. Yeah, but notice how he's comparing Greek and Jew, circumcised and nuns. So how does barbarian and Scythian work? Because slave and free, all of these comparisons are opposites. Most people read this as barbarian and Scythian as being equal. But if you're going to follow everything he's done, he's Greek first, and then he goes circumcised, uncircumcised. So then he goes Jew to Greek. Here we got two words we don't know, and then he goes slave to free. So what am I doing here? The juxtaposition, if I follow the pattern, barbarian is all of those up in the, in the northern regions of Russia and the Caucasus and parts of, of Europe, and Scythian would be the apostate Hebrews that are living in the land of Scythia. The pattern fits. I don't know if that's what Paul's talking about, but the pattern would fit. So that wouldn't necessarily make Scythians barbarians. It could just mean that they are in the pattern of the Greek being against the Jew. That could be the apostate you know, Hebrews against the true barbarians of the world. I don't know, but that fits the pattern he's using right there. And then when you come down a little ways later, it says Old Testament references. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word Ashkenaz occurs in Genesis 10.3. And it parallels 1 Corinthians 1.6 and in Jeremiah 51.27. The word has been identified with Akkadian. It's a Babylonian word. And Ishkuza for the Scythians. More problematic is the identification of the foes from the north in Jeremiah and Habakkuku with the Scythians, a view favored by a minority of scholars. I have contended that there is new archaeological evidence to suggest that some Scythians may have served as mercenaries in the Babylonian armies in Nebuchadnezzar, etc., etc. This article, supposedly coming from a Christian believer, thinks that the Scythians go back thousands of years, long before the archaeology says they show up. This is why I think you have Scythian being used to address more than one group of peoples. Because they seem to be different from the Scythians that become the Anglo-Saxons. But this is, it will, I put this story in there. It's in your homework. You got to do a lot of reading to start putting all these pieces together. This is just for those who might want to make use of it. Now here, this is another, this is the Israelite origin of the Scythians. He goes over a real good detail. This, if you want to read it, this argument here is my line of thinking right now. This is where I'm at right now. It says these tribes were uh, given the divine birthright blessing by Jacob, et cetera. He goes over that. And he goes over a bunch of other stuff and he goes over how they, they, they probably left early. Right here's the paragraph I want to read right now. A medieval Jewish historian named Eldad is cited as the source of a report that at the time of the fall of Samaria, the Northern kingdom, the 10 tribes of Israel evaded the calamity going off with their flocks and turning nomads which is what the Scythians were, and that the chief whom they appointed could muster 120,000 horse and 100,000 foot soldiers. To be escorted by 220,000 soldiers, the main body of escaping Israelites must have numbered well in the area of a million. He's guessing here. But the Black Sea region to which they are reported to have escaped is almost straight north of the old kingdom of Israel. The Bible has an account which indicates that Ed Eld's report is factual. 
in Jeremiah 3, remember we were quoting from 3 earlier, God sent a message of reconciliation to the 10 tribes of Israel, even as he proclaimed that the end of the kingdom of Judah was near. These messages to Israel and Judah were given approximately a century after the 10 tribes were into exile. It is most noteworthy that the God told Jeremiah that the message to the 10 tribes, i.e. house of Israel, should be sent to the north. God knew where the 10 tribes were a century after the exile, and he told Jeremiah they lived to the north of Jeremiah's location in Jerusalem. Draw a line northward from Jerusalem, and you will come to the Black Sea region, exactly where ancient sources place a large body of migrating Israelites. The people living in the region were known as Scythian or Sakai tribes. Were they Israelite? Were they Israelite tribes? Well, the Sakai is a word for Isaac. Okay. I put both of those in there for you because they're kind of sort of opposing views that are still circling around the same, same thing. How does that relate to my black Hebrews? Okay. Well, the black Hebrews are going to claim to be the Scythians, but they're going to say that they're down in Africa. They don't have archaeology to support the claim. I am not getting into skin color arguments. That's not it. My focus here today is theological, spiritual. I am an opponent to anybody who leads the sheep astray. This leads sheep astray. This Hebrew, black Hebrew roots thing can be destroyed 90 different ways to Sunday. I am not claiming whites over blacks. I, I cannot say this enough. I don't know how to say it more clearly. I am looking this entirely in a, I'm looking at it from a spiritual theological perspective. Can this idea of the black Israel, Hebrew, whatever movement, can that lead people astray and get them away from their faith? You bet your bottom bippy it can. That's my objection. I want to keep you closer to Yahweh and to his teachings and to his son, the Messiah. I got no concern over the color of our skin that's irrelevant to me. So just wanted to make sure I had that out there. This is from Got Questions. This is a Christian site. Who are the black Hebrews, black Israelites? I'm not going to read this for you. You can go do it if you want. But they detail that a lot of this is connected to the Back to Africa movement, black nationalism, black pantherism. This is connected to primarily American politics, folks. That's all I can tell you. And one of the ways that the easiest way for you to address this for you, work on this for yourself, Wikipedia. For crying out loud, Wikipedia, for no less. You read through it, and what you're going to find that in ancient, in, in ancient times where they describe people of, of Afro, what today we would call Afro-American descent, uh, descent or ethnics and origins, they're rare. And they're thought to be in parts of Southern Africa. Oh, wait, wait a minute, Joe. I thought the Egyptians were black. Hmm. No, when you, when you look at the Egyptian paintings and everything that they're on the walls and all the ones that haven't been falsely restored, you got all sorts of skin colors in those things from white to black. But in the ancient times, the Romans would write about them. They're mostly centered around the Nile about, uh, of uh, Ethiopians in the areas down in there at the time that the Caesar and in, in the, the Romans are ruling Judea and the Holy lands and before you don't have a whole lot of what we would think about as black people in the Holy lands. They're rare. They're, they're uncommon. And they're written about by, by the ancients in that way. 
And in some cases, they, they even in the Song of Solomon, when, when one of his wives has the blackest coal skin or whatever, it, it's thought to be an exotic thing. It's even addressed as exotic in the Song of Solomon. And if the Hebrew Israelites, if they're black, then why is Muhammad, who's son of Abraham, why is he prejudiced against them? Because Muhammad hated blacks. He, he was racist against blacks. He called them raisin heads. His words, not mine. It's in the Hadith. So you put that with the Roman coins and all the pictures of the time, and you can put this black Hebrew movement down. Not because of white supremacy. No, 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 no. Not because of politics. I don't care about that. This is a religious connotation. It's because that's the work of Satan that divides, that doesn't unite. Scripture tells me to unite the body, not divide it. All right. So for a class that I didn't think I'd get, you know, that I that I thought I'd get through quick. Charlie, I'm always opposite. I thought I'd have this thing done in an hour. <laughs> it's wrap up time. Yeah, this one, uh, pretty good. All right, folks, we thank each and every one of you for being here. We love all of you. We hope we were able to serve you today. This is a very, very brief overview of this issue of where the tribes went, what we've been able to find, all of the books I shared with you today, every one of them I've read. Um, I warned you about one of them. Others, you know, I've read a bunch of others that I just dismiss as garbage or not worth the juice, isn't worth the squeeze. If you run down this pro, th this trail, be very careful. Everybody has their own opinions here. Look for people who are doing really good scholarship work and who are citing their work, telling you where they got it. I don't, it, for me, I didn't do that today. I don't have time. I gave you the books. Go look the books up and look in the back. You'll see everything cited. For me, it's going to have to be a case of these books have all their citations for their support and all their research. I got to give it to you that way. So, who we got on the phone there? Hey, hey okay, Mr. Zinker. What's up, brother? Hey, buddy. Hey. I know you're wanting to get out of there. No, no, Can I touch time. on something real quick from last Friday's show? Yes. I, I politely waited till you were finished. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, you were talking about the new Speaker of the House, and you were reading an article, I think, and it was pointing out the pros has about no enemies. good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, he has no enemies. And you touched on something from um, the British foreign minister in World War II. Okay. Uh, his name escapes me. You there? Yeah, I'm here. I'm listening to you, man. Go with it. Run. Okay, I'm sorry. His name escapes me, but I'm sure you know it. Um, dang, that 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 caused my train of thought to derail. But anyway, I want to go a little bit further than that and pull out a piece of poetry from a fellow named Charles McKay. He was a poet from back in the 1800s. Okay. This is my favorite piece of uh, poetry in the world, one of the best I've ever read. And it goes like this, and this sums it up. You have no enemies, you say. Alas, my friend, the boast is poor. He who mingles in the fray of duty that the brave endure must have made boats. If you have none, small is the work that you have done. Never struck a tyrant at the hip or dashed cup from perjured lip. You've never changed the wrong to right. You've been a coward in the fight. That is good. Yeah. That is every awesome. time I, and I just recited that from memory. And every time I recite it, the hair on my head stands up. It just gives me chills. Basically saying if you're standing in the middle of the road, you've been a coward. You couldn't choose oh, right God. or wrong. Sometime when it ain't so late in the day, I'll call in and tell you what Ian Rand said about the man in the middle, the middle man, the modern. 
We'll have to maybe. <laughs> hey, Charlie, uh, uh, Jimmy, we can do that tomorrow because tomorrow's going to be a free for all day. Okay, I'll we'll do my best. It tomorrow. just depends on where I'm at in the morning because right, um, the rest of my week is kind of uh, um, rocky. But there was one hey, other Jimmy, thing on that. We, we got a Beverly Dalton wants to know what's the name of that poem again? You remember it? Um, you have no enemies by Charles McKay. There you go, Beverly. Yep. And the other thing that was pointed out about this guy, he voted to repeal Obamacare. Well, I would just like to point out that all of the Republicans voted to repeal Obamacare yeah, they when they that... didn't have the power to actually repeal yeah, it. Yes, right. yeah. yes, yes yeah. show votes. Okay. Yeah. So I want to know if he voted for it during the uh, big fight when they did have the power to repeal it. Was he one of the ones trying to remind the Republican Party at the, at the uh, penalty of being attacked and, and, and tried to put, be put out by Trump? that they did not promise to repeal and replace it. They promised to repeal it. Yeah. yeah. So I just wanted to get that out there, and I'm sorry it took me so long to get back with you. No, you're all right, brother. You're good. You're good. Okay, buddy. Y'all enjoy the all rest right. of your day. Okay. We'll get wrapped up here all then, right. folks. All right, buddy. Take care. Thanks, Jimmy. I always welcome Jimmy's calls. All right. We were saying we love each and every one of you. We hope we're serving you today. This is a big subject today. It was just to start you on a rabbit rabbit hunt if that's the way you want to go. Let you know that there is something to this. This isn't all just garbage. That much I know. Um, depending on how you look at it. If I look at this from a biblical perspective, I can put most of these pieces into place. Um, if you don't let me do that, then they're all just a big hodgepodge mess. Um, otherwise, you know, if, if you like what we're doing here, at least give us a thumbs up to let Charlie and Natasha know that you like what they're doing. Because the thumbs up and the rumbles up are for them, not 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 everybody else. Don't do it if you don't don't want to. I don't want anybody doing anything they don't feel happy doing. But if you like what we're doing, please share the show with others that you think might might benefit. Whatever you got to do, explain to them that, you know what I am, who I am. Tell them I'm an acquired taste. But make sure you let them know the show builds on itself. We've been doing good work in the last three or four weeks. I, I can look back on it and even see that we've, what it is, is we we took us 250 shows to put a foundation under us. Now I can start hammering on things that I've always wanted to talk about to people about, but there was just so much that had to be covered before we could do it. Today was one of those shows where you realize that, oh my gosh, did Joe have to read a lot of garbage to put this together? And there's more to be done. Because I traced down a lot of the sources in those books, too, as I came across them and had questions over them. There's a lot of work in where I'm at right now. And it's still hard in my head, man. It's fuzzy. It doesn't normally for me, this would all fall into place. So when it's as difficult for me to sort out, I know this is a complicated issue that Jesus probably doesn't want us to know. But anyhow, where we go from here is all up to y'all, folks. If you can afford it, please go to the donate button and uh, set up a $5 a month donation. Just $5 a month. Buy us a cup of coffee or half a dozen donuts. Tomorrow's a free day. It's supposed to be donuts in the house. If y'all know, on the, if y'all are in on the know and you've been here long enough, you understand. <laughs> We're going to be pinging off the walls. I will explain the way I see time. Um, that'll get us back into our universe and multiverse discussion a little bit, but I'll, I'll explain how I see history and time. And we will discuss whatever else comes up. So if you've got questions, tomorrow's another good day to pop your questions up in the comment board or call in. If you haven't called in before, give an email over the over, overnight. Let Charlie know who you are so that, and we're doing that to screen Dodo Cops out. Otherwise, y'all stay safe. Take care. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for staying. Bye-bye.